Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 43 of the podcast. Hey, we are uh, right into summer now, and wherever you are, thanks for taking the time to listen. I really, really hope that this episode helps you lead like never before. Today, we're going to be talking to a guy that uh, probably a lot of you who are in church world anyway know. His name is Jim Tomberlin. And... I don't know whether anybody knows more about the multi-site church than Jim, and he's also really gotten into church mergers, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit during our interview today. Really excited to have him on the podcast, and I'm excited because, you know, I think, I think it, you know, doesn't take a lot to figure out. I'm pretty passionate about churches that want to reach people, and I'm pretty passionate about uh, the condition of the church period. And I think one of the great stories that's been written over the last 20 years is multi-site church. And I think when it started, I mean, it was really what mega churches were doing. But what's really cool about multi-site is uh, now, you know, not huge churches are doing it. And I think with this whole merger thing, there's something for everyone in here. Because what's happening is, you know, probably less than 10% of churches are growing, as we talked about with Tom Rayner back in episode 36. And in some areas, it's probably like 5% of churches are growing. And so what do you do if you have a church that's stuck? What do you do if you have a church that, uh, you know, is sitting on resources or assets and doesn't know what to do with them? Well, a lot of churches churches are seeing mergers lately. And then growing churches are also expanding into multiple locations. So I think it's a fascinating conversation, at least if you're passionate about the church uh, like I am. And I know um, like a surprising percentage of church leaders are thinking about going multi-site. So it's just a fascinating thing. And if you have a heart for the kingdom and uh, if your church is multi-site or is thinking about what's next, uh, Jim has got some fascinating insights. And for all of you who are maybe struggling in your church, you're like, you know, we just, no matter what we do, we just can't seem to to get going. Um, there's hope here too, because uh, you may have a church that is doing quite well near you that you could partner up with. And so uh, Jim and I are going to talk about that. So thanks for listening. Hey, I hope, man, I don't know about you, but like summer is my absolute favorite season. So whether you're on a run today on a bike ride, whether you're uh, cooking or barbecuing or in the car on a commute or just on a break at work and you're listening in, or maybe you're one of those rare people who can actually multitask and like listen to something and work at the same time. I cannot do it. My kids can do that. Like they used to study for exam while they're still in school. They study for exams while watching TV. As soon as there is a voice, I, 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 like I'm, I just can't focus. So anyway, if you're one of those rare people, hats off to you. I don't know how you do it, but that's awesome. So wherever you are, hey, it's great to be on this journey together. And uh, I want to thank everybody who continues to leave reviews on iTunes. That is so amazing. Thank you. We are just pushing up to 200 reviews on iTunes. And when you leave a review, uh, first of all, it's real feedback that I read and I really appreciate. And it also gets the podcast in front of other people. So it's a way of just sort of sharing the love and making sure that other leaders see it. So thanks for doing that. And today's podcast is brought to you by Orange Tour. And even as much as we are in the height of summer right now in July, uh, I hope you're starting to think about the fall. And I would encourage you, if you're going to book something this fall, to take a serious look at the Orange Tour. And if you go to Orange Tour. 
Org. You'll see all the details there. I'm going to be at about half the cities on this Orange Tour, but coast to coast across the U.S., uh, Reggie Joyner, myself, and a bunch of other leaders are uh, going to different cities. And we will probably be in a city near you and would love to meet with you. We're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about senior leadership issues. We're going to talk about how to reach the next generation. Uh, it is a great venue to bring your teams to. And often people will bring like, you know, a dozen or even 20 people with them because it's affordable. And it's in your neighborhood. So you don't have like flights and hotels and that whole deal, which makes conferences so expensive. So uh, a lot of you have been asking, hey, what cities are you going to be in this fall? I'm going to give you a list of the cities. This is tentative. I mean, I'm 99% sure I'm going to be in these cities, but I will be at the Atlanta tour stop the two-day in Irvine, California in September, which is going to be a lot of fun. I will also be at the Washington, D.C. tour stop. Uh, We'll be in Indianapolis. We'll also be in Austin and Dallas. uh, And finally, in Nashville. So super excited for that. So if you've never been to an Orange Tour uh, stop location, make sure you go to orangetour.org today and register because we would love to have you. And uh, that tour has been selling out over the last few years. So make sure you jump on right now. And rates are a little bit better than if you wait. So because I love the local church, I'm so excited about doing the Orange Tour this fall and hope to meet you. That honestly is probably the most rewarding part of doing any of this. The writing I do on my blog and uh, this podcast is just meeting you and hearing your stories and having conversations. So uh, I'm really excited about the Orange Tour. And because I love the local church, I'm super excited about this interview with Jim Tomberlin. And right before we jump into it, if you want to take notes, we've already done that for you. You can just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 43, and everything is right there for you. So now my interview with Jim Tomberlin. Really excited today to have Jim Tomberlin with me. And uh, Jim is somebody, we were just talking about this when we were getting ready, that we met for, I met for the first time 10 years ago and have just sort of been on the edge of each other's circle for the last decade, but it's really nice to reconnect. And you, a lot of you know him as multi-site guy, also church merger guy, because that's another area that you've been uh, working on lately and the founder of Multi-Site Solutions and the chief strategist for it. So Jim, welcome. It's great to be with you, Carrie, and I'm, I'm a big fan. Love your your writings. They're fresh. They're insightful. Well well written. And uh, it's a real treat to be with you today. Oh, thanks. It's a real honor to have you. So, uh, this is this is a cool journey you've been on. So, you have been in church world pretty much your whole adult life. Well, I guess as yep. a child too. And um, tell us a little bit of how how you got to do what you do, which is basically help churches either become multi-site or become better at multi-site? I mean, you've been doing this full-time for 10 years, which is just fascinating. Well, my journey with multi-site church began when I was a senior pastor in Colorado Springs at Woodman Valley Chapel back in the 90s. Uh, That journey that started there got me invited to leave kicking and screaming Colorado Springs to go to Chicago Mm -hmm. to pioneer the multi-site model at uh, Willow Creek in the year 2000. Five years later, four campuses later, uh, the Multi-site was, uh, you know, working at Willow Creek, and I was getting a lot of calls from around the country of, from other churches on how do you do this multi-site thing. And so after five years and four campuses, um, we decided we had com- completed what God had brought us there to do, my wife and I, and uh, felt led to make ourselves available to serve the, the body of Christ around the country and beyond now in, this, in multi-site strategies. But maybe last several years, we're 10 years going strong and uh, it ends slowing down. 
Yeah, I remember when I when I met you in the foyer that day. It was yeah. a uh, what was it? It was like a multi site summit right before the leadership summit back in yeah. two thousand five. And I'd heard about you and was really impressed by the whole multi site thing. And shook your hand, and you were like, "Yeah, this is my last official event at Willow Creek." And so you were literally <laughs> on your way out the door. And who would have known even back then that multi site would become what it is today? Yeah, we had two, our two main t- speakers that day were two unknowns, uh, Greg Surratt and uh, Craig Rochelle. And yeah. so, uh, say what? Surratt, <laughs> Rochelle? But that's true. Like they weren't really on a lot of people's radar screens. No. no. So, yeah, uh, yeah. It's funny. I met Craig Rochelle that day too. We actually had lunch. He wouldn't remember that, but uh, he was gracious enough to sit down with me at lunch as this guy from Canada who went and said, hey, can we chat? And uh, and that that was a really cool summit. Another podcast guest, Dave McDaniel, and I were talking about that recently. Like uh, He and I met that day for the first time as well. So that was a really interesting and, and cool day back uh, in probably August of 2005. Very significant day in... Uh, the beginning of a paradigm shift within the church. Yeah. And you know what? It's one of those things, too, just for a lot of listeners who go to conferences, you know, make sure you don't just take notes, like go meet some people, go Mm -hmm. shake some hands and make some alliances. Because, you know, 10 years later, you just never know where you're going to end up, what people are doing. If somebody said, well, you know, fast forward 10 years and you'll be interviewing Jim for a podcast and he's going to be helping churches around the world do multi-site, it would be like, what? I don't even know what a podcast is. Like, give me a break. So it's funny where God takes you. Very, very but, different places. By, by the way, Kerry, uh, Willow Creek just launched their seventh campus uh, last month. And so uh, that's amazing. It is fun because so, now the babies are having babies. And that's really when it starts to really get exciting. Yeah. That's cool. So uh, what was multi-site all about? Because that's what we're really going to focus on in this episode. And and I think I think one of the things, just so you don't think, oh, great, like eight megachurch pastors can listen to this episode. because But multi-site has changed a lot. I mean, a lot of smaller churches, a lot of mid-sized churches doing multi-site. And I forget what the exact stat is, but like a ridiculous number, not ridiculous and bad, but like a lot of churches are thinking about going multi-site. Or you might, I, th- I think there are lessons even for the single site church that is like, well, what would be some of the key ingredients that would make me, you know, mm-hmm. a candidate for multi-site? So all that to say, this is not just for like mega churches and not just yeah. for churches that have gazillions of dollars. But what was multi-site all about when you started out in it um, full-time a decade ago? Well, it, um, the multi-site movement began as a mega church uh, band-aid strategy or uh, megachurches who found themselves out of room or out of space uh, or restricted by zoning laws. Uh, that was what got me started down that path. And, mm-hmm. and the first wave of the multi-site churches were megachurches that were solving yeah. that kind of problem. And it still kind of has that reputation, doesn't yeah. it? Like, you know, that this is for the, the, oh, you got thousands of people you don't know where to put, mm-hmm. so you start another campus. Yeah, but that's, it, it quickly evolved beyond being a Band-Aid strategy for megachurches churches. Uh, and it became a growth strategy for healthy churches of all sizes. Hmm. Today, I like to say, Carrie, that you don't have to be mega to be multi. And um, That's good. matter of fact, there's over 5,000 multi-site churches today, according to our latest survey with Leadership Network last year. But um, but there's there's about 1,600 mega churches, but there's over 5,000 multi-site churches. So this movement has is outpacing very quickly outpaced the the mega church movement. You don't have to be mega to be multi, and uh, you don't have to be video. That's the other assumption. Right. Uh, only about half of the multi-site churches use video. Half do and mm-hmm. half don't. 
And uh, so those are the two assumptions that people often conclude wrongly. Oh, that's a megachurch and a video strategy. And uh, wrong on both points. And the average church now today that goes multi-site is around 1,200 in attendance. Okay. And so uh, that's, you know, less than a megachurch of 2,000. But uh, we now have 72 gigachurches in the nation, in, in wow. the, uh, which is 10,000 or more. And most of those, I think all of them, but maybe two of them are all multi-site because now they're not limited to a building. So they, even if it's a big building, it's not, they're not limited to that one location. Right. And so that's, we'll see more of that. So when you say megachurch, for the purposes of your this discussion, are you mm-hmm. talking about churches of 1,000, 2,000, yeah. 5,000? What's the threshold for mega? Well, the, the official definition uh, is 2,000 total people on a weekend. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so attendance of 2,000 or greater. More, yeah. 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 Which, I mean, is what? Top half a percent of all churches? A half of 1%. Half of 1%. That was a good guess. I should guess more often. There's 320,000 Protestant churches in, in the U.S. Wow. And so um, I'm not sure what that is in Canada. And um, There's about 12. Uh, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it's just, it's just smaller. It's just smaller. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so half of 1% is our mega, what are considered mega churches. And, um, but it started with mega churches, but now it's really, a, it's a healthy church strategy. Yeah. And, uh, and it's also become a revitalization strategy for stable but stuck churches uh, who have, um, they're not in trouble. They're solid. They've been around a long time, uh, but they're not growing. But they're, you know, they're anchor in the community. They're influential. They have resources. And many of those kinds of churches are finding that this is a way to, re, to leverage their strengths locally and re-energize their base by extending themselves beyond their 15 or 20 minutes from around their campus. Uh, when I went to Willow Creek in the year 2000, it hadn't grown in five years. It was one of the largest churches in the country at the time. Um, it had $20 million in the bank, uh, no debt, and, uh, and a very outreach-oriented pastor, and yet they had kind of hit that place where they were hadn't grown for a few years. Now, they were full, so the thinking was, we need more seats. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we did, you know, this when I came in the picture, let's add some more seats at our home base, but let's try this regional uh, campus model as well to add more so seats. So it was a both and, it was a both right? Because I remember, was it 04 that the large auditorium opened up? Uh, yes, 03, in 04. 04. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, in the last, in over these last 10 plus years now, the overwhelming uh, majority of the growth of Willow Creek has been at their, at their multi-sites. They've gone- yeah, and back- I, I, I when think I was, churches like Life Church. Sorry, I didn't, didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. We got a bit of leg, but churches like Life Church and North Point would say the same thing. Like you can only get so full, and if you start adding like three a.m. services, nobody comes. So, you know, you've got to grow by adding new sites. Another wave of this movement is that uh, a lot of declining churches, and uh, we've talked about that earlier, that are in trouble around the country. Are many of them are finding that there's a chance to have a rebirth, a resurrection, or a second life by joining with a vibrant, growing church that's multi-siting mm-hmm. and, and uh, through, through mergers. So that multi-siting through mergers is becoming a growing trend as well. So let's let's back up a little bit because you said a couple of things that I don't think were part of the dialogue or at least not part of the dialogue I was aware of a few years ago because it was always that multi-site was not a growth strategy, but it was something that growing churches did. And And you had said that one of the trends over the last decade has been that churches that might be stuck are starting to move to multi-site as a way of revitalizing 
Mm-hmm. So um, if, if you know, I can imagine that's resonating with a lot of leaders right now going, okay, you know, we're not fundamentally dysfunctional. We're not unhealthy, you know, compared to a lot of other churches, but we're just not growing. So opening a second location, is that always a strategy for growth or like, how does that work? Um, it can be. And, okay. um, but um, multi-site is a healthy church strategy. It's not a strategy to turn a church around. Uh, as churches can level off, not because there's anything internally wrong um, or not because they're not connected with their larger community around them. Many times, all, all churches will level off after 10 to 15 years, typically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot has to do if, if the community slows down, there's no more new growth and all that sort of thing. There's still some, you're reaching new people, but just through the natural attrition, you, there's not, not a lot of net gain. So a lot of churches will find themselves in that category. Uh, they're um, and can find that the multi-siting in other parts of their larger community is a way to bring fresh vision and excitement and energy to the home base, and and to leverage their their strong, healthy reputation there. The um, you don't have to be out of room and out of space to go multi-site. And that's one of the things we're seeing now. But yeah, do, and, and that's but a change. Have, but you do have to be healthy. Okay. So what would be some of the markers if people are, because I I think pastors have a way of like overstating or understating their Mm -hmm. health. You know, we're like, oh, we're super healthy. And you come in as my consultant and go, well, what about this? Or have you checked behind, you know, looked under this carpet because there's some dirt. And uh, or, you know, we tend to think, oh, we're not healthy at all. And then you might come in and go, no, 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 we're, you, you guys are really healthy. Like you could do this. So how do you get an accurate sense of whether, yeah, we're just kind of stuck right now, but the fundamentals are good and multi-site might be for us. Are there two or three typical um, well, markers? Yes. Well, I, I, yeah, I get that question asked a lot. Uh, what's considered a growing church is 5% growth a year. Okay. So that's one, one standard you might look at. Uh, I liked what your guest last week said, Tom Rayner, who's one of my favorite uh, oh, yeah. blogs to, bloggers to follow as well. I liked his de- definition of, you know, 10% of the churches in America today are growing faster than their community. Mm-hmm. 10%, I forget how he said that, are losing. 10% are growing slower, they're sick or dying. Yeah. yeah, and then 80% are showing signs of sickness. I think that's a, I would affirm that. Hmm. Um, I think is it's very important for a local church that's considering multi-site that they are very, have clarity about their mission and vision and that there's unity around that among their church leadership. That to me is right. a healthy church. Uh, another characteristic would be that uh, they have good systems and next step and processes to help people through their spiritual journey. Um, this is why I tell churches when you're just a few hundred people, many times those things haven't gotten developed enough right. to reproduce. But, uh, but when, um, so I think this is some of the characteristics that I suggest to churches to look at. Are, are these things happening? Uh, are, is there, is your church leadership unified? Uh, is there clarity on your mission vision? Uh, are you, you maximizing your current facility or utilizing it well, um, before you multi-site? These are some of the things that um, can you add another alternative type service in another part of your building? Right. These are some of the some of the steps, either worship style or or just a different flavor. 
And so would you encourage churches to do that? Like, let's say they've got a, an auditorium or a basement somewhere or an off venue that used to be used that isn't in much use. Would it be like max out that before going multi-site or relocate in another neighborhood? No, I, I'm a big advocate of maximizing your current location okay. as much as you can. I'm, um, and uh, now, again, sometimes where a church is leveled off, the community is slowed down. I mean, it's an older community, perhaps, and there's not a lot of explosive growth around you. You may not fill up all your space. But, uh, but yeah, I like to suggest that before you multi-site, you do multiple services, at least two. Yeah. Uh, that um, that you, if you're going to do the video model, then have a, do a video venue in another part of your building. Uh, I even suggest, even if you're not going to do video model strategy for multi-site, you should put video screens with iMag in your services because people, you'll, it'll be a better experience for them. Uh, even if you're in the room, they're going to watch the screen. They'll see and hear you better. And so those are the three things I recommend to do churches before they multi-site. I like to okay. suggest is, if possible, you know, to be about 10 months pregnant uh, with a multi-site <laughs> campus. But again, a lot has to do with the life cycle in the in life stage of a local church. Right. Um, and so sometimes there are churches that they're not going to see that kind of growth in their local place in that in that lo- in that location, but they do have a presence and a reputation across the region that they could um, multi-site, especially if it's through mergers and there's maybe a, yeah. a handful of people in another part of another town where they have a base. Uh, these are some of the ways that churches that are stable but stuck can multi-site. Yeah, that's a good point too. I like what you said about systems because I think you can grow to three, four, five hundred people based on the charisma of a leader Absolutely. or, you know, just a moment in time where you've got some momentum right now. But, you know, I don't know who it was who said to me, you know, two locations is more than twice as complicated. And, you know, we have two locations at our church. It's more than twice as complicated. Mm-hmm. You you have to have systems, you have to have deliverables. And, you know, if you're ever to grow beyond 500 people, like your systems are an absolute necessity. And it can't be like one guy driving it all or one woman driving it all. You just, you can't do it. You've got to, and you got to be prepared for growth. You know, what's it like at 1200 or 1500? And right. what does that look like? You know, we had, we had a good example of that. We're recording this months in advance, but you know, it was our opening Sunday for our facility uh, last Sunday and we grew by 50% overnight. And I sat down with our staff on Tuesday, we went from about a thousand in attendance to 1500. Now that might've been opening day you know, euphoria or something like that. But I said to our staff on our Tuesday debrief, it's like, hey, our systems worked. Like kids check in worked for 50% more people overnight. Um, you know, our nobody felt uh, we were all exhausted because we had just opened a facility, but nobody felt like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And then, you know, all of a sudden we had dozens of new families to follow up with. And mm-hmm. and you have to have systems for that because if it's one person, it's just all going to break down or just, you know, if you're flying by the seat of your pants, it gets it gets worse. Yep. Yeah, okay. right on. Mergers and acquisitions, which is interesting because I have heard a number of leaders who are like, well, we're not growing, so we're just going to launch another campus. And I'm like, whoa, 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 time out, time out. You want to rethink that. But you said for a dying church, like, Merger and acquisition is a good idea. Now, I come out of a tradition where if you have two dying churches, and and I was part of a mainline church, and we saw this all the time, but you know, you got two churches of like 40, 70 people, and it's like, well, if we come together, we'll be 110 people, and we'll merge that way, but it never really works out that way in that kind of situation. What was it Lyle, Lyle Schaller said years ago? 
you uh, shrink to the size of the largest congregation. Like yeah. basically people just disappear and you import all your dysfunction and so on. That is not the kind of merger and acquisition you're talking about, is it? No, and uh, this, you know, Karen, we should have a, just a whole interview on mergers because that's such a big topic. Okay, but, we'll do that. But, we'll do that. Uh, but you, you're right. What you just described was the typical mergers of the past, which everyone agrees uh, was not a successful uh, strategy. But the new the mergers we're seeing today, and uh, Warren Bird and my co-author on our on my book on church mergers better together, we started started to see him through Leadership Network, me through my consulting, a, a, a dramatic increase in church mergers. He mm-hmm. he called me a few years ago, said Jim, are you seeing a lot of mergers in your multi-site consulting? I said, yeah. A lot. He said, so are we. We had to write a book about it. Hmm. But so we went to research on the topic and uh, the overwhelming conclusion about church mergers uh, in the past was it's a failed strategy. And it's just what yeah. Lyle Schaller described. It was basically like two drowning men grabbing onto each other to su- survive at the expense of the other. Yeah. And, they bo- and they end up both drowning. But the kind of mergers we're seeing today are more, those are more survival driven, more uh, re- really about trying to preserve kind of an old failed strategy of the past. But the mergers we're seeing today are more mission-driven, where often it is a church that's in trouble or in decline or stuck, uh, but who joins a growing, thriving church and doesn't become one church in one location, uh, becomes uh, one church in two locations as a a multi-site outcome. The leading, we always talk about in every merger, there's a lead church and a follow or a joining church. Uh, in our survey, we did a national survey of churches that had gone through mergers. The overwhelming majority of these mergers were not initiated by the lead church, but they were by the joining church. Yes. And so this is not about uh, takeovers uh, or going, you know, hostile takeovers or acquiring, you know, as many churches and buildings as we can. But often it starts with the, with the stuck or declining church initiating this conversation. But we're seeing a lot of, we're seeing this happen a lot. Yes. I've got friends who have had that happen. We pray that that happens at our church. It hasn't <laughs> happened so far. But basically, you know, a church with land and a building and money, but not a lot of people or an aging group of people goes to a growing church that's reaching young families and doing a great job and often doesn't have lots of money, just you know, lots of vision, lots of people and says, Hey, would you take us over? And it's almost like a surrender. It's almost like, you know, if you want to use corporate language, a hostile takeover where, okay, your board is going to step aside. Our board is going to come in and they basically flip the keys. It's like, we can't drive this thing anymore. Mm -hmm. So you guys drive it and missionally motivated. It is a surrender of what God has given them to a church that can probably use it for the next generation, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah, no, the surrender is the right word. Somebody has to surrender and give up control. and uh, But it's a benevolent and it's something that where this works well is when they embrace the, the lead church. They love yes. the lead church. And uh, we, we you know, want to be uh, an, an expression, a campus of this church that we're joining. So this is happening a lot. 37% of all multi-site campuses have come as a result of a church merger or acquisition. Wow. And uh, and this is growing. You know, 80% of the churches in America today, Carrie, are, as Tom said last week, Tom Rayner, are showing signs of sickness. Yeah. Many of them are, are in decline. Many of them have facilities in desperate need of a vibrant ministry. And then there, there you know, there are 20% of the churches in America today that are growing, vibrant, and they're often looking for space. And so there's a huge win-win kingdom-wise when those two churches can find each other. So that's what we're seeing, and that's keeping us very busy with my team with yeah. a lot of church merger 
conversations that mostly end up in a multi-site outcome, but sometimes it's like a church planter in a school and he's growing and there's a nearby church of 50 years old, 100 years old in decline. And sometimes that's, you know, that becomes a nice solution where they need a building. Uh, that declining church needs a pastor. The church planter needs a building. There's a huge win-win there. So. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool, Jim, and I, I like you, I care a lot about the kingdom of God. If as a result of this, I'm sure there's some listeners, some leaders right now who are like, hey, we're that church. Like we're not growing. We have a bit of money in the bank. We got mm-hmm. a building that we can't fill. Wouldn't it be great if if those leaders looked around and said, where is a progressive growing church that we have confidence in that God is using that we could flip the keys to and just kind of surrender and say, hey, it's yours and we will join in what God is doing through you. Uh, I mean, I, I think I think that would advance the cause of the church so much. Well, you know, I'm all over the country and I'm in Canada often as well mm-hmm. in the past, but um I have an associate there, that uh, your old uh, colleague, Rich Birch. That, yeah, uh, Rich. He, he does a lot of the work for, for us in Canada, but uh, in terms of multi-siting. Being uh, a Canadian, yeah. hey, Rich. Yeah. So, I, so I'm not going to Canada as much these days because I think he, he's better there than I would be. But every community across the North America, and certainly in the States, uh, there's, a, there's a strong, vibrant church, or several. Yeah. Several. We, we often hear about all the churches in decline and all that, and church attendance is down, and there's some factors that there's, that there's a lot of uh, truth in a lot of that. But, you know, 20% of the churches in America is not a small number that are growing, that are vibrant. And every every community in the country, uh, urban, suburban, and rural, has some of those churches. And so mm-hmm. uh, th- there are options for the churches in decline, you know, to join with a church like that. And, yeah. and that, one of the reasons we want, wrote the book was just to give pastors, church leaders, permission to even th- consider this as an option. Okay. So we will link to that book, by the way, better together in the show notes and everything um, Jim and I talk about will be on the show notes. And Rich was like uh, episode eight, I think, of this podcast. He was uh, one of the early pioneers. So great friend and uh, was with our staff for a while and uh, just a great leader. So and yeah, yeah, super guy. So before we get on to what's next in multi-site, for the leaders who are going, because I know there's some who are like, okay, we're right on that bubble and I don't even know that we should do it or not. You talked about, you know, growing churches, definitely it's an option of maximizing your facility. For stuck churches, it could be an option as long as you're fundamentally healthy. What are two or three of the other criteria that you think really should be in place? Talked about systems already. Um, for you to become a, a multi-site or at least be considering it as a, as a viable option. Uh, okay, some maybe some bigger picture issues. Churches sure. that are churches that are growing. Typically, I hear this language: they are uh, pastor led, board protected, or board uh, governed. And so, you need to have a governance structure that allows a church staff to lead. Sometimes, in some of our denominational structures, and I work with United Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans mm-hmm. and all. Sometimes their structures get in the way, but it's yep. even in, even non-denominational churches can create kind of uh, an old structure. So many of our structures are inherited from a hundred years ago when yep. churches were small and you know <laughs> a big church was a hundred people, two hundred people, and uh, so that's another issue. To um, it can hold back a church from multi-siting. I always tell churches if you're Good not point. healthy, uh, get healthy first, then multi-site. This is a this is uh, this is a growth vehicle. It's not a growth engine. It's not a startup engine for growth, but it's more of a vehicle that will accommodate and even accelerate growth. 
Yeah, I think I think that's a good word because otherwise you multiply your dysfunction, right? Yes. You spread your dysfunction, you spread your ill health, you spread yes. your division. And I think micromanaging boards or boards that really fundamentally don't trust your staff, that becomes impossible because, you know, multi-site, once you get to a certain size, it's just so much beyond your control. Mm-hmm. Like you just you just can't control it. Or you will try to control it to the point where the church shrinks back down to the size where it can be controlled, which I mm-hmm. think is mm-hmm. dangerous. So let's talk about the future because, you know, I don't know whether anybody sees more of the trends in multi-site in North America than, or even maybe globally than you get to, Jim, given your focus and your specialty. Mm-hmm. So I love thinking about the future. I'm a futurist and my strength finders. So what are some of the innovative edges of the multi-site movement that you are seeing? Because it does, it's not only evolved, it continues to evolve and change. It's a great question. Um, you know, when this movement began, uh, the early pioneers, I was one of, in that batch was, was in the 90s. It really took off in the the turn of the century. It seems so strange to say, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's and, right. Way um, back when. It really was a paradigm-shifting uh, step in the, in the church in America, for sure. Um, it changed how we think and do church. Mm-hmm. In the same way, back in the 70s and 80s, when I started out as a pastor, <laughs> in the 80s, the, the, the hottest trend was multiple services. You know. <laughs> it's hard to, you know what, I've never heard that described as a trend, but you're right, yeah. that probably was oh, a trend, that, right? That We're going to add know, two services, come off the was, divine hour. And there was, yeah, and there was a lot of pushback on that, you know, uh, really? two, two services, and then you had to do dual Sunday school and and all that, and uh, there was pushback. And then, then a Saturday That's night funny. became an option, and there was a lot of pushback yeah. on that. So, But today, uh, in a lot of ways, I think the multi-site movement has become like those multiple services. Today, any stable or solid and certainly growing church is going to have multiple services, at least two. Mm-hmm. It's not even a question. No, it's no, not even, it's, absolutely. It, and so I think today we're seeing now 15, 20 years into this movement, healthy, stable, healthy or stable growing churches, are all, they're all going to be, uh, as well, Leadership Network said it well a few years ago, they're either already multi-siting, they're planning on multi-siting, or they're thinking about it. And so it's become, it's become a mainstay staple for growing churches. And now, do you have to be a certain size? Let me, sorry to interject, yeah. but like, do you have to, like, if you're a hundred, should you be thinking of multi-site or do you have to wait till you're 500 in attendance, weekend attendance? Well, you know, our survey revealed that the average size is around 1,000, 1,200. Yeah. So, and so what I, when I see that, I, it has a lot to do with what we talked about earlier. They're big enough to have thought through their, who they are, what they do well, and the structures that they've put in some infrastructure and all that sort of thing. But do you have to be that size? Uh, I used to say, yes, you should be that size, but I'm increasingly, there, there are other ways to start multi-siting less than that. Uh, when I, I, I've been working in Europe for the last few years, and you know, most of the churches there are not 1,000-plus churches. Yeah. Uh, so how do you multi-site when you're two or 300 people? Mm-hmm. But So there, I, I think one way is through mergers. Multi-siting through mergers is one way to do that. Um, there's a hybrid way of multi-siting church planting. That's another long conversation where you're, you're raising up people from scratch like a church planner does, but you're multi-site by being centrally uh, governed, you know? So okay. there's some of those ways now, but a lot of the, uh, the emerging and I think will become the dominant, have, are becoming the dominant multi-site churches in the country. I think of churches like um, Perry Nobles. I think he started mm-hmm. his first site he thought we're going to be a multi-site church even before they even had one site. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, and I think that's the next wave. Church leaders, uh, I was with a church in, in one, one Life Church in Evansville, Indiana. They're four okay. years old. They have three locations. They're 2,300 in attendance. They have, until recently, no site-specific staff, but they have about a dozen central staff. Wow. And central staff, they would describe themselves as central network children, central network students, central network groups. And they just would, they serve all the campuses. And they're rented facilities, uh, renovated, and they're edgy as any megachurch would be in terms of technology and quality and very next generation oriented. And I just think that's the picture of the future. Uh, and so they, they, uh, they weren't a megachurch. I mean, they mm-hmm. started, they grew to a thousand plus, 1400, I think, when they launched their first campus within a year. And then wow. that one grew to a thousand. And then they launched another one of that. I think uh, this started again with a big mega campus. And then we'll spin off these satellites around and all that. It's, that's the old model. As I mentioned earlier, multi-site changed how we think and do church. Hmm. Now we're on the cusp, I believe, of another paradigm shift, how we think and do multi-site. Yeah. And it's more about, we've done multi-site by addition, basically. And mm-hmm. that's the majority of ch- multi-site churches, 85% of them have one or two campuses. Right. So only 15% get beyond three locations, but those who get beyond three tend to do more than three. Okay. To, so once to, you hit that, you're at a tipping point. That fourth campus, that third multi-site, but that fourth campus, uh, which is really the fourth multi-site, if you think mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. um, is, is a game changer. Very few get there. And as you said earlier, it's very complicated at two. And this is why most stuck, get stuck at one or two additional campuses. But when you get to that third one, you don't get there unless you say, you know, we've got to change how we think and do church, our structure. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the multi-site churches today, they have not really changed in their fundamentally their monocyte structure thinking. No, because you can spread over two or three locations. But it's kind of it's kind of like a little bit if you follow the church size stuff, and we've talked about that on previous episodes, but like, you know, you can get away with some of your bad habits when you're two or 300, but mm-hmm. once you pass four or 500, uh, you just won't stay there unless you fundamentally change your style of leadership and how you organize the church and how you structure the church, because that's just the tipping point. So what is it, if I can just ask on that, what, what, is, what is the key, what are some of the key differences then between churches that will do two or three locations as opposed to four and beyond? What, what changes? Well, so much of, of church growth in America today has been, in North America, has been growth by addition. But mm-hmm. the next big way that's coming, I think, in the multi-site movement is where churches that have been successful in that, growing by adding, even adding on steroids, uh, it's moving from a, an addition culture to a multiplication culture. Okay. So you, you add by, by um, you grow by adding and acquiring, but you multiply by releasing and sending. And that's, mm. to me, is the big shift that's coming in the multi-site movement. So say that one more time. That, yeah. That's a really good principle. You grow by... You grow by adding and acquiring. We add, okay. we add disciples, we add converts to disciples, members, services, services, campuses. And that's all good. And that's what church, local churches should be doing. Right. But you multiply by releasing people, resources, and sending them. Wow. And, uh, and it's a, the church, there, there's a small but growing number of churches that are doing both. You, on a micro level, you, you grow by addition, but on a macro level, you multiply by releasing and sending. And, um, and so I'm working with Exponential right now, with Todd Wilson and Exponential, with 
identify, and we have about 20 churches that who are t- tremendously successful in multi-siting. Anywhere from 3,000 to 20,000 people attending and multiple number of campuses. Uh, these t- churches are, tend to be led by apostolic type leaders. And, okay, when you uh, say apostolic, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think a lot of us know what that means, but like what functionally would be some of the characteristics of an apostolic type leader? Well, I think fundamentally, I, I think about the Apostle Paul when he said, I, I bear daily the burden of all my churches, mm, <laughs> churches, mm, plural. Mm. And uh, I think of, obviously he was an apostle, but um, I, I think someone with an, yeah. a, a senior pastor with an apostolic impulse or tendency is someone who is not content just to be a great pastor of a great church in his local community. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, I, I want that for every local church to be at least that. But, sure, but an apostolic leader, pastor, is someone who says, you know, I want to multiply that and reproduce that. Uh, could, uh, they have a they have a desire to create a movement of hmm. congregations, a movement of churches, and what we're seeing in the in these kind of cutting edge, multiplication oriented kind of multi site churches is that they have leaders like that. They're birthing campuses that birth campuses, and they wow. plant churches. They're involved with planting churches that plant churches, and so uh, it's it's a both and. And they're and they're in multi-siting campuses and church plants are different pathways, but it's the same outcome. They're new congregations right. in a community that didn't exist before, but there are two different strategies for them. And we're seeing a small but growing number of churches that say, you know, we're not satisfied just with two, one or two or three campuses. We want to be a we want to create a movement hmm. with our church and spread our church with multiple congregations through multi-siting and church planting, reproducing themselves across a broad region. Or beyond, uh, there's a handful of those churches, and so we're meeting uh, to this next year in a learning community to learn from one another, and hopefully these are the, some of the trailblazers that uh, that, um, uh, that we hope that they will work with us in creating a map for others to follow. So, okay, that's cool. Now, I imagine there are some leaders listening who would say, well, isn't that just church planting? I mean, isn't that like okay? So we have five campuses and we planted twenty you know, independent churches, but multi-site's different, isn't it? It's not just church planting. Is that, is central governance the key in that? Uh, that's one, yeah, central governance is what makes multi-site multi-site. Okay. It's not whether you do video or live teaching. It's not how close mm-hmm. or how far. It's not even what, if you have the same names for all the campuses. Um, it's one thing that makes multi-site church multi-site, and it's central governance. So it's basically one elder board, one key directional team or leadership yes. team or executive team. Mm-hmm. And then you might ha- even have like regional staff, but they report to one central yes. accountability group and, and usually unified budgeting as well, correct? Yes, yes. One budget is part of the multi-site model. And so, yeah. um, and again, that gets back to the, it's centrally governed. I, I like to tell churches, if you're going to multi-site, ultimately a local site pastor at a local campus, the decisions concerning that campus are not decided by that campus. It's decided by the central leadership team. Right. So that's what makes it different. And you're seeing in the multiplication side of what's next in multi-site, that that is still centrally governed and, and centrally funded and supported. But, but you'll have churches, uh, the, the churches I'm describing will also have a church planting strategy parallel to their multi-siting sure. strategy. Yeah. And so they're not, you know, the difference between a church plant and a campus, multi-site campus is central governance versus self-governing. But yeah. what we're seeing in these kind of churches that are doing both and that they're providing some central support to yeah. these, their church plants. And um, 
you know, a, a good example of this was Mars Hill in its heyday. Uh, their vision was to have 50 multi-site campuses across the nation by 2020, but a, a thousand church plants through the Acts 29 network. And so, mm-hmm. so they were doing both and. That's the kind of thing we're seeing. And that clearly was, you know, had the potential, had a lot of the characteristics of, of a movement-making church. And, uh, but there are other churches that are doing that in that row. Matt Chandler down at Village Church has a very similar strategy. Yeah. You know, they have a strong church planning commitment and, and strategy as well as multiple campuses. Uh, Mark Job and New, and New Life Church there in Chicago. I mean, there's a, a lot of churches that are community Christian Dave Ferguson, which is one of the early pioneers of all yeah. this. So we are seeing some churches that are going to move beyond just addition and they're going to move to multiplication. And it's all about releasing and sending while they're building and, you know, growing locally or regionally. Uh, but they're not just, they're not content with just multi-site success. Now, how do you produce enough leaders to fuel that kind of a movement? Because most of the multi-site people I talk to, they're like, man, if we had five more campus pastors, we'd have five more campuses. Well, and that's exactly, that's the key to, I think, a multiplication model that you bake in reproduction at every level and every ministry every step of the way you're baking in reproduction multiplication so that you have this you're having pipelines not just the preacher or this campus pastor but it's the worship people it's the children's people it's the uh you know everybody's reproducing themselves living things are meant to be blessed to to be a blessing yeah to be fruitful and to reproduce multiply it's very true uh, it's so but most churches i like to say are like uh, uh, mules, you know, they're hardworking, they're stubborn, and uh, and they don't and they don't reproduce. <laughs> True, that's good. Most churches are like and, mules. Uh, uh, so that's good. There's a handful and growing, and we want to get those those churches in a room for, for uh, three times over nine months and over a couple of days, and really just figure out what what does a multiplying movement making multi site church look like. And what's the roadmap that we could that we could come out of this these gatherings that others could follow um, right. as the early trailblazers? So, if anybody in your audience would fits the category of at least four campuses, has an apostolic kind of orientation in their leadership, as uh, is involved with some form of another of church planting, contact us. It's an okay. invitation only uh, uh, at this stage, but we hope it will create something that will be open to anyone. But if anybody fits, seems, thinks they're in that category, I'd love to talk with them. Okay. And what we'll do is we'll link to Jim's contact information in the show notes. So uh, I don't have an episode number yet while we're recording this, but if you look well toward the end of the podcast, I'll have that for you when I record the outro. But, Carrie, uh, we're calling this Radical Multisite. Okay, cool. So, so that's, that's, that's the, the buzzword, name. Radical Multisite. Again, I, I've, I've observed this for the last several years, that most multi-site churches, though they are succeeding, even with one or two campuses, uh, they're not maximizing this model. Mm-hmm. And I think at its core, in essence, the multiplication is the kind of the premise in here. And yet most churches are not functioning in a multiplication mindset. They're more in an addition. Right. Now, addition is better than subtraction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> right. So, There's a lot of churches uh, subtracting. I just think we're on the, on the cusp now of another paradigm shift of how we... Think and do multi-site. Cool. Any other things you see in multi-site? I mean, that's pretty big in and of itself, Jim. What What are some other trends you might be seeing right now? Well, again, we've already hit them. Uh, I, we're going to see more mergers. This, yeah. You know, eighty percent of churches are in trouble. There's a lot of church real estate that needs that's not being utilized that can be utilized through mergers with a with a. And every community in America has growing dynamic churches. 
there's a there that's we're going to see that even I think they may be bigger than multi-site. Right. And right. Because every multi-site church is going to be considering mergers as an option. But a lot of these 80 percent churches uh, are going to start thinking about this in a different way that, than they did in the past. Right. And so I think this, that's a huge trend and is not slowing down. And that's what's keeping my team really busy these days <laughs> and, uh, and myself. But the, uh, I think, as already mentioned, multi-siting is now becoming mainstream. Yeah. You know, if, if, you're, if you're basically solid, healthy church, you're going to think about it. You, and you're going to have opportunities, even if you're not thinking about it, that are going to be presented to you. Now, I always tell churches, don't, resp- don't let an opportunity drive your strategy. Let your strategy surface opportunities. Mm-hmm. That's a bad way to get into multi-siting. Oh, someone offered their building. I guess we should do it. You know, go right? Yeah, yeah. But, um, I, I do a lot of assessment uh, consulting with churches that aren't doing so well. Not so often they kind of backed into multi-siting, and now it's not going so well. And, right, because so. you reproduce your health or your ill health, right? Yes. Your yeah. your problems or your opportunities. Hey, let me just ask you a question too, because I, I think you're right. Like, you know, the whole merger acquisition thing is going to be huge as, as dying or unhealthy churches kind of go, okay, we want to flip the keys too. How are you seeing denominations respond to that? Because if you're an independent or congregationalist church, it's easy enough to do. You have a meeting, you have a vote, and you know, here are the keys. But I, I know, uh, you know, I've got some experience in this this in a denomination, often the denomination will own the building. And I know uh, mm-hmm. in some denominations in the U.S. and Canada, that's been a major issue. And then, you know, it ends up becoming a, a, a craft shop or a cafe rather than used for the kingdom, or it gets sold and demolished and turned into condos because the denomination needs the money. Are you seeing denominations start to move on that? Or what are you seeing? Yes, you know, uh, I, yes, I, we are seeing this. And denominations are often slow to move on some of these kind of innovative yeah. things. But it, it is increasingly, is, there are progressive denominational leaders that are seeing multi-siting and this new kind of mission-driven merger is a way that perhaps we could revitalize the, our declining churches, which every denomination uh, has, you know, the majority are in trouble, just like Tom Rainer mentioned last week on your bot- podcast. But, um, and so, but, but also all of them have some dynamic churches as well. Mm. And so a lot of them are saying, if we could, tag them up, you know, maybe that's a, a way. And I didn't speak to a lot of the denominational leaders, Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, uh, some of the, and some of the others to, t- to talk about this. Now, one of the things is they, they, there's a lot of mind shifting that has to happen for them in terms of the, their scorecard that they're keeping on their mm-hmm. churches. If you've got, if you're, if you're a district supervisor or a district superintendent and you've got a hundred churches in your district and, uh, and two of them merge, now you have 99. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't feel right, you know, on on their scorecard, and yet now that maybe they have stronger church there in the ninety nine, so they, they got to be changing, rethinking how we what we're keeping score on. Is it the number of churches or is it the number of disciples that we're making? Yes, it's, and uh, and so maybe fewer churches, but are stronger is a healthier thing. A lot I like to say a lot of churches need a proper Christian burial, mm-hmm. but the nice thing about churches they can have a rebirth. And uh, <laughs> we, now we have if, a savior who's good at resurrection. Absolutely. Now, a lot of these churches are leave their denomination, so that becomes a problem. And they join with another church that's not in their denomination. Now, some denomination, it, and I've seen it all over the map, they're like, thank you. We couldn't, we couldn't handle, we, don't, we can't afford to absorb this facility. Hmm. Or others fight for them, you know, and they don't, yep. they don't want to lose it. And so, so that's where our, our team, and we work real closely with the church law group, and so through a lot of those issues, we, and uh, it's very important that we do everything proper according to the bylaws and constitution of a church, 
And every church is unique and different and has those kinds of connections that uh, have to be thought through in a merger. Now, I think, you know, denominationalism and, and if I can editorialize for a second, you know, protecting our turf mm-hmm. kind of makes more sense when you're in a Christian era, uh, but the Christian era is gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we're all kind of in the same boat, doesn't it make sense to kind of cooperate together and go, hey, we have more in common than what divides us. Let's Absolutely. figure out how to get some kingdom wins out of this, not just, you know, my little part of the kingdom wins. So that that's cool. And I love to hear that denominations are being flexible on that and being open to even even, you know, wouldn't that be great if it really didn't matter what the label on the church was, as long as somehow the church, capital C, got better as a result? Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, one thing about that, in our last survey with Leadership Network, the, the second largest denomination represented among multi-site churches was the United Methodist. Yeah, and, isn't and that a lot cool? Of, and a lot of my clients are United Methodist churches, and they're, they're some of the most dynamic, exciting churches. And, you know, Every denomination had a lot of the structures that they created in the past made sense in the past. And so there's a lot of rethinking mm-hmm. and uh, on this. Uh, I always like to say, let's create structures that empower, not embalm. And so mm. uh, at, at one time, these structures of the past made sense. You have to re- recalibrate. I always like to tell my Methodist uh, clients, we need to start thinking more like John Wesley again, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's all about expansion and multiplication Absolutely. and, and, and everything. That, and they resonate with that. And they all agree with that, too, by the way. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, that's true. So I know there'll be some leaders going, okay, there'll be a few who are like, okay, multi-site is not for us. But I bet you yeah, there are some who listen to this interview, and as we get into the home stretch, are thinking, okay. I think maybe we thought it was for mega churches, or maybe we thought we had to be over a thousand people, but you know, we're healthy and we're kind of out of room or um, we're still healthy and we're not growing, but we know we got people driving 30 minutes to get to our church. Maybe we should locate there. Mm-hmm. Just so they know, what are some of the initial challenges that they will encounter if they go multi-site in the first few years? What are the typical surprises or roadblocks that churches encounter? The most important question going multi-site is why. Why are you doing this? That's the first question to address. And it's got to be more compelling than we're out of room and out of space, although that's not a, that's not every church is out of room and out of space these days. But uh, the right answer on that is because uh, we become convinced that this is a vehicle that can help us reach more people and reach and serve more people in our larger community. And, you know, across the nation, we know it's about 88 out of 10 Americans don't go to anybody's church. That's Mm -hmm. to me is the compelling reason. And you can just do the math in your own local community add up the population and then add up all the local churches in, in your community. We know the average church size in America is 75 people. Mm-hmm. So if you have 100 churches in your county, then that tells you how many people are in church on Sunday. Multiply that times two to cover everybody. And yeah. then compare that against your, your local population You know, from the census. And that'll tell you what your redemptive potential is in your backyard. We just did that. We're 96% unchurched. I used to say 93, and we actually did the math, and it's 96% of people will not be in church. And so, you know, it's funny because at Connexus, one in 15 people, this is prior to our building, but one in 15 people who attended church attended our church. And you could see that as a finish line, like, that's awesome. We've accomplished our mission. But then you look at the fact that 96% of people don't go to any church and you're like, oh, we haven't even put a dent in that. Like, my goodness. And I think if, if you start to see it that way, multi-site becomes a tremendous vehicle. We launched our first Willow Creek campus in Wheaton, which is not where we wanted to go for our first campus, but it's where we were able to get a facility. <laughs> and the reason why we didn't want to go there, because it was 55% unchurched, which is still you know, a large number, but the rest of Chicago was about 80% on church. Wow. 
But we went there and, uh, and we've, you know, it, we launched and we did well. I was just back there working with another church now, uh, Wheaton Bible Church, that's starting to down the multi-site path. And uh, the demographic has shift, shifted to 90% unchurched. Wow. And, and Carrie, here's the cool thing about this, though. Uh, most of that's come from all the immigrant, the, the large Hispanic community that's moved into that community, Somalia community as well. Wow. Which I tell these churches, that's some of our best fruit is going to be these immigrant roots because they're so open to change, so open to be mainstreamed. And, and if a church will welcome them, there's a huge potential. And they are. They have half of their church is Hispanic now. And they uh, have a Hispanic pastor. So and one half of their building is for the Hispanic side. The other half is the English side. And so they're positioned well for that. But just to give that's you that awesome. sense. So the first question is why multi-site? Okay. The, the, that's the most important question. The second, uh, the, the most difficult, um, the most important decision you'll make going multi-site is the campus pastor. Mm-hmm. The most, that's the most important decision you'll make in going multi-site. So you want to be building the, who's in your pipeline now. 87% of all multi-site campus pastors are, were, were in internal hires. They were already on the staff or in the church. And so it's all about the DNA, knowing them, yeah. and, their, and their ability to be a high-capacity leader who has the DNA of the church. And so that's the most important decision you'll make in going multi-site. The most difficult obstacle in going multi-site is finding a facility. Yeah, that's what slows down and delays, you know, sets back a, a church is the facility, finding a facility. Mm-hmm. You would think that would be an easy part, but that's that's the thing that uh, causes more delays. Mm-hmm. After you have a place to meet and a pastor to lead, the most important success factor is launching strong with a strong core of people. So you want to you want to have that critical mass on day critical one. mass. Now, the national average is 75 people. That's, you know, adults and children. The students. Um, I like to suggest at least a hundred people to launch with. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, I like to say the bigger the baby in the womb, the healthier the birth. And mm-hmm. um, and so you want to launch strong. Um, to get that critical mass. Your first two years are the most critical. If you if you're not seeing explosive growth, and we're seeing on an average of thirty percent in the first year growth, second wow. year twenty five percent. If you're not getting that in those first two years, it's really hard to get get that momentum. But if you see have that kind of experience, that kind of growth, and it will slow down. Um, sure. The percentage. Matter of fact, our latest survey said that multi-site churches are growing on an overall average of 14% a year, which is wow. phenomenal. 5% is considered a growing church. Now that's you know all campuses combined uh, overall for fourteen percent. But, but take uh, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll take yeah. It. In this age, that's pretty good. And then uh, I think the last thing to consider, and uh, after you've got launched, the the most the biggest challenge in multi-siting is navigating that paradigm shift from monosite structure thinking to multi-site. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I, why most are stuck or choose to stay at one or two sites because they're just not really willing to change or have able to change their structure to support a multi-site model. I always tell, tell churches the fun, easy part of multi-siting is starting campuses. You know, I, yeah. always, say, I always say, but you know, making babies is the fun part. It's raising them, <laughs> managing them is the more difficult part. And right. that's where most churches get bogged down in multi-site. And so, but, no, and so when, I, when we word. come and work for the church, we try to start be a little proactive on not just getting the, the campus launched, but setting them up structurally to think structurally differently post-launch. And because uh, most of the churches I talk to say, oh, yeah, we want to do, you know, multiple campuses, but very few get beyond one or two. Yeah. 
Well, this is great. I mean, I feel like this could be a two-hour conversation. Jim. <laughs> I think it it's, was. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I know people are going to want to learn more. What's the easiest place to find you? And, um, you know, an easy way to contact you, particularly if there are those church leaders who are listening, who are like, you know what, I think I fit that study group you're doing with Exponential. Well, they can contact me at multisitesolutions.com. That's my website. Okay. And that's multisite, S-I-T-E, solutions.com, all one word. Uh, or my email me at jim at multisitesolutions.com. That's probably the best two ways to contact me. Uh, you mentioned earlier about a church may be thinking, were we big enough or whatever? I tell churches, if you're around 500 and you're thinking multi-site, that's a good time to bring me in or, or someone from right. my team. Because you're not maybe ready to about 1,000, but we can start, lay the, ra- the right groundwork to uh, set you up to go multi-site that you won't, so you won't. Uh, have to undo things when you get around a thousand in attendance, because uh, if you think if multi-sites in your future, it, it affects your staffing strategy, your building yeah. strategy, your technology and, and your strategy. And so, the sooner you know what it's going to take to be a successful multi-site church, even if you're not ready, you know the next, you know within the next few months, um, the better the better you'll you'll do when you are ready to go. So that's that's kind of a starting point. And then we also do a lot of assessments of current churches that. Um, they either call and say, Jim, uh, it's not going as well. We've got one or two campuses. It's not going as well. Could you come and look under the hood with us? And so we do a, an assessment and evaluation of their situation and kind of compare them against our, what we know are our best practices for multi-site churches. Others will say, hey, we've got a couple of campuses. It's going better than we imagined, and we don't have a clue. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we don't want to mess this up. Could you come help us figure out how you know how to keep this on track and not uh, and, and do more? So... But and then we have the, the whole merger consulting as well piece that's yeah. been a wrinkle of this of this movement that's keeping us very busy and we're loving it so that's good and you're a great follow on Twitter too multi site guy and is it church merger guy no it's merger guru merger guru there you go but we'll link to uh, your social media in the show notes as well so Jim super helpful and actually really exciting. It's just great to think about the future and to see it strong in the church. That really, really excites me. I, I'm honored to be able to work with those kinds of churches. And, uh, and, and yeah, I'm just, I'm ecstatic about uh, the future of the church. I think these are exciting days to be living in. Um, and there's a lot of permission to think outside the box these days. And uh, it's just so fun to get to work with those kinds of, mostly those kinds of churches. So, um, but thanks so much for the invitation to be with you today. And I uh, look forward to uh, our, our paths crossing more in the future. Of course. Absolutely. Jim, thanks so much. Bye now. I don't know whether you've ever done Strength Finders, but one of my top strengths is futurists. So I absolutely love conversations like this. Jim, thanks so much. That was fantastic. And I love thinking about what's next for the church. And I think our best days are ahead of us. I know a lot of doom and gloom these days in the church, but my goodness, I just think if churches could really get together and as we see growing churches continue to grow, and maybe if you're just one of those struggling churches and you're thinking, hmm, I wonder if we should just take our resources and flip the keys to another church that is really doing a great job reaching the next generation. Man, if that happened even two or three times as a result of this time that we spent together this week, that would that would just be incredible. So uh, maybe, that's, maybe that's your next step. Maybe that's your follow-up. If you want more or you want to connect with Jim, you can just go directly to the show notes. All the links are there. It's just kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 
43. And we are back. Surprise, surprise. You're going you're gonna to have to guess, okay, what episode next week? <laughs> 44. And episode 44, going to have a great conversation with Jeannie Stevens. And uh, Jeannie is a church planter in downtown Chicago. She's doing urban ministry along with her husband, Jarrett, doing a fantastic job. And we're going to talk all about that journey for those of you who are planting churches, or maybe you're thinking you've got a call or you've started a new position. We're going to talk about moving from comfort to courage. How do you go from your nice little status quo position, which she had, uh, to something bold and brave and terrifying? So uh, we're going to talk about that with Jeannie Stevens next week. You're going to love my interview with Jeannie. And that's episode 44. Best way to make sure you never miss it is simply to subscribe. All you have to do is go on to iTunes and hit the big subscribe button. It's free. Then automatically these show up in your your phone or, or whatever device you're using, wherever you carry iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio with you. Um, it'll show up every Tuesday automatically. So uh, thanks again to everybody who's leaving ratings and reviews. And remember, to register for the Orange Tour now, just go to orangetour.org and uh, make sure you get to a city near you. And I can't wait to hang out with so many of you this fall. So we're back next Tuesday. Thanks so much. And I really hope this has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.